Well, he got you to holding some of those songs out and you weren't ready. But you did all right. You did all right. I was glad to see you participating. I think it's a wonderful thing when God's people join their hearts and their voices together in song. I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing of worship. We live in a world where it seems like a lot of the church services and everything has become so driven by who sings it, who, who performs it, uh, how many CDs or downloads I can get, and, uh, and less and less concerned with the content of what's being sung or, uh, or, or the value of it. And so we want to talk about that today. We want to talk about what we sing. Last week we talked about why we sing, and uh, today we want to talk about what we sing. We, why do we sing? Last week we talked about this. We sing because God sings, and we read in a passage in Zephaniah where God sings over His people. We sing because creation sings. If you don't believe that, just step outside and you can hear the birds on a quiet day if the traffic's not too bad, right? Um, we, we, we sing, and we're part of creation, by the way, so we should be singing as well. Our voices should join with the birds of the field and the animals in the field and sing praises to the Lord. The God gave us a songbook, the longest book in the Bible, the Psalms. You can read the other books in the Bible a lot less time than you read through the book of Psalms. If you read through the book of Psalms, it'll take you about five hours to just sit down and read all the way through it. Uh, there's a lot in there that tells us about our God. Uh, and so God places great weight on singing and by giving us that songbook. And then we also have the Levites in the temple that were set aside specifically. Some of the Levites were set specifically for the purpose of song and playing cymbals and instruments and, and, and lyres and not lyres as in telling lies. We're talking about like guitar, guitar type instruments, guitars and stringed instruments of some kind. And um, so we have the, the Levites there. And uh, David and Solomon set those up before the temple was going, to, going together. You remember when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, we, pray, we preached on that not too long ago, and, and Nehemiah established two great choirs, and one great choir walked this side of the walls, and one great choir met, met at this side of the wall, and they all met together and joined the choir and had a huge choir together. It's all part of the worship of the Lord. It's designed in, for, throughout the scriptures. We sing because songs stay with us. I could ask you if you would give me all of the points from last week's message and you would say no, but you might remember a song that we sang last week. And so songs stay with us and so we want to use those. They stay with us a lot longer sometimes than the sermons do. That's why we have a hymn of the month. It kind of sticks with you until you get it, once you get it. And why we sing so many songs over and over again. They stick with us. The rhyme, the rhythm, and the meter help those things to stick like glue to our heads and to our hearts. And all of that music should point us to God and His Word. So we sing because of the song, Stay With Us. We sing because the Holy Spirit stirs us to sing. And if you look in your Bibles, and that's where we're going to be, Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. One of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that there's a desire to sing. Or a desire to at least listen to songs that speak of the Lord. If you, do, if you don't have a singing voice, Scripture says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I think I told you last week that my pastor growing up, uh, pastored that church for 47 or some years, 
before the Lord took him to heaven, but he, he, uh, he, he couldn't carry a tune as, uh, in, a, in a bathtub. It was terrible. He was, just couldn't sing. But, but he loved singing. Uh, how many of you know Dr. Bob Jones III? You know Dr. Bob Jones I've sat next to him on the platform. Bless his heart, that guy can't sing. He's terrible. But, but he loves music because he knows the value of it. And, and, he knows, and, he, and he sings. I think that's what it is. And we're trying to sing for the glory of the Lord. That's what we're doing. Okay? So the Holy Spirit inside of us makes us want to sing. Singing unites us in harmony. And heaven is going to be full of it. So we might as well warm up. Right? So that was, those are the main points from last, last week's sermon. I remembered it. Of course, I got it written down. You don't. That helps me. Now, so we're going to look today about what we sing. It's important, it's important that we make right musical choices. You know, every time you choose a song, you're, you're saying, I like that, I'm choosing that one over all those others right now. So you make choices all the time in the music that you listen to in your car, in your house, on your iPad, iPod, in your, in your earbuds. You make musical choices all the time. So it's important, especially as, as believers, that we know what it is we're singing, what music it is we're listening to, and why we choose certain things and don't choose other things. So let's take a look at this today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Go down to verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So it's important that we understand this thing about music. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Just flip the page over a couple of pages and you can see that. Or click over on your phone, whatever. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Ephesians 5, 18. It says there, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are two main verses that kind of give us a guide as to where we're supposed to go as a church, and specifically as a church, but as Christians also, we need to consider these things as individuals as we go about our daily lives and the music that we let into it and the music that we focus on and make a priority in our lives. And let's face it, we all like music. You can't go anywhere without music. You can't. You go into a restaurant. I was in a restaurant the other day trying to talk to people, and I said, man, I don't I, shut that noise off. It was distracting to me. It wasn't helpful to me. Uh, you go into some, music, some places and it's like they, they crank the music up and it's like it works you up in a frenzy. It's like they want you to get out of there as fast as you can. And then there's other music that slows you down, like sit down and enjoy the meal and stay here for a while. It has an effect on you. It really does. You don't believe music even without words has an effect on you? Try playing John Philip Sousa in the nursery when you're trying to put kids to bed. You'll see it doesn't work that way. Boom, 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 boom. Wow, that wakes them up. But you don't send the armies to war to la, 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 la. That's, when they do that in the movies, they laugh, right? It's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's, it's, it, because music talks even without the words. So all of this is very important that we decide and, and think this through. 
and, uh, and pray it through and try to make sure we're doing what is really honoring to the Lord and helpful to us in our Christian walk. So let's pray. Oh, by the way, I know the minute I start talking about this, somebody's going to get mad. That's what happens because everybody loves their music and don't mess with mine, right? I'm not picking on anybody and I'm not judging your motives. I'm just going to try to tell you what the Bible says about it, okay? Father, we thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for those who stayed, and we pray that you'll help them, us, as we work together on this topic to understand things in a way that glorifies you and helps us to walk with you in a better way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I gave you a basic outline there uh, about where we're going here. And so I want to talk, and some of them will be longer than others, I want to talk about the source of our music, the source of the choices that we make in our musical choices, the substance of our music, the style of our music, and the spirit of, of our music. And I want to just kind of hit those things. Just, I've been rolling this around for quite a while. I've studied music a lot and, 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 and preached on music many times as a youth pastor and a camp director. And, uh, and uh, so this is very dear to me. I love music. So let's take a look at these things. The source of our music. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. It makes it pretty clear. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Okay. The word of Christ. That is the source of our music. That's where we want to go. It's got to be music that points us to the scriptures. That points us. That is built on the scriptures. That, that makes us think of Scripture. It, it's a tool that helps us to meditate on biblical truth. If you hear amazing grace over and over and over again, you're going to walk about thinking about the grace of God. It's just going to stick with you. And so it's, it's, uh, as we, we were talking the other day, I think in Freedom That Lasts, about the idea of, of, of meditation as being like muttering it over and over again so that it sticks in your mind. And when you sing it and you hear it, it all sticks a lot more. So we want the Word of Christ to dwell, to make itself at home in our lives, which is why some of the music that we pick, the music that we pick must say that for us. You know, if not, what happens is, let, you, you listen to, let, let's say you, 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 you build your world around heavy metal music. You're going to be an angry person who walks around smashing things and yelling at people, Right? Isn't that true? You listen to sensual music. After a while, you're going to become a sensual, lazy person who's all, all about the flesh. It's very important that we choose music that causes us to dwell upon the Word of God. And there is room for some taste in all of this, but there are some principles that we really need to think about. And we need to personally bring some things into captivity to the Word of God and our own thinking into what God has said about these things. We don't choose our songs because we like them. We don't choose our songs because it puts me in a good mood. We don't choose our songs because it calms us down. We don't follow our heart with our music. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful, right? And desperately wicked. So don't follow your heart. Following your heart will lead you farther away from the Lord all the time. Because your heart is wicked and leads you away from God. What we need to be doing is filling our hearts and our minds with Scripture. And we can do that with songs. 
Don't choose your songs because of who wrote it or who sang it or who performs it on a CD or an MP3 or a TikTok or whatever it is that you're watching. YouTube. Uh, don't, don't, don't choose your songs because it's the one that is on the top 40 on the local Christian radio station. Or because it's at the big conference someplace that somebody's at. Choose scripture-filled words, scripture-filled songs that will point you to Christ and make you think on Christ. Every song we as a Christian sing to the Lord must have its basis in scripture itself and doctrinal truth that it teaches. Colossians chapter 2, look at that verse. I, I was in a church in, in uh, Sacramento, wow, it's been 10 years ago, I think. And I went in, and I was the third preacher. It was a Russian church. And they had two Russian-speaking preachers, and then they had me come in as an English-speaking preacher because they had young people in the church who were English-speaking. And they wanted me to minister to them because they didn't know Russian as well. Well, I went into the service and there was a, a group of young people up there and I, I, I knew that they loved the Lord. I knew that they were doing, they, they really wanted to do this for the Lord. But it looked like the 1970s mod squad up there. And uh, they had, the, they had their, their praise band and, and the music was loud and raucous and it, it disturbed my soul. And um, the guy who invited me said, don't, 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 don't preach on music. Well, I did anyway, but, um, but the other side, one side of the auditorium had this rock and roll band, really is what it was in the church, and I could see these dear older folks going, what is this? Well, how did this get in our church? And then on the other side, there was this beautiful, beautiful, like that, baby grand, uh, grand piano, and nobody's playing it, and, uh, and I said, wow, what a contrast right here, right in front of me. And, uh, and this is the verse that I went to when I preached, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him. Our purpose in music is not to please the crowd. Our purpose in music is not to to get us more likes on live stream or, or a YouTube video. Our purpose in music is to glorify God. And music will get a philosophy, sneak a philosophy in you that you're not even paying attention to. I think I told you last week, there was a time in my life when I was, I was a Christian, but I was away from the Lord. I was very, very backslidden. I was by myself. I didn't have Christians around me to kind of keep me in check going to a public school, and I'm listening to the world's music. And I found myself singing this stuff because, well, it was what everybody was singing. And, and I just kind of went into this mindlessness and just sang it because it sounded good and it was cool and it fit in and, and it made me fit in with the others. And then I started thinking, what am I singing? And I found myself, as a Christian young man, singing curse words. I found myself as a Christian young man uh, singing songs that led to, that would, if you followed the, followed the philosophy behind it, it would lead to immorality and rebellion. And I said, and something clicked in my mind, Colossians 3.1, if ye then be, be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. 
I have a picture in a photo album someplace where I took a bunch of records that I had and took them into my mother's bedroom because she had a hardwood floor and I smashed all those records and I said, I don't need these in my life. They're dragging me down in my Christian walk. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been struggles up and down since then, but there comes a point in time when you've got to make up your mind, have you decided to follow Jesus or not? And I had decided to follow Jesus. So I had to choose songs that helped me and, and encouraged me and challenged me in the things of the Lord. Colossians 2.8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. You don't think there's philosophy behind music? Yes, there is. Vain deceit, it tricks you, it sucks you in. The traditions of what everybody else around you is wanting to do, it'll get you. The rudiments, the basic things of this world will draw you in, it'll draw you away from the Lord. It's, it's not any different than, than the fruit in the garden. It looks good, it, it looks appealing, and, and, uh, and uh, it, it's very deceiving, and it draws you away from the Lord. So anyway, we went into that. I'm not judging people's motives. I just think we're not alert enough. We're not paying attention. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Look at that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, empty words. There's a lot of empty words out there in, in popular culture. Uh, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Vain words will lead you to do vain things, empty things things that are go against God. You may not intend to, but it's because you've been led astray. You just kind of go along with it because everybody else is going that way. Verse 7, Be ye not therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness. Before you were a believer, you were living in darkness. But now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you're a Christian, act like it. Listen to music that's going to help you, not music that's going to be awake to you. So it's important that you do that. Very, very important. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. Protect it. Avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science or something called knowledge, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. People get led astray very quickly. Music is a big part of it. And again, I love music. I love all kinds of music. But I have to choose the music that's going to help me in my walk with the Lord. The devil is deceitful. He knows the power of music. He really does. And uh, it's important that we are, are careful. When you listen to music, what do the words say? What do the words say? Did you even hear them? I, I, somebody was talking about rap the other day, okay? And they were talking about how the words just come, boom, 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 and rhythm, and it sticks. And before you know it, you like the rhythm, and it, and it kind of sticks with you. And, and, and then before you know it, you, you're saying words that you know you never should say. Uh, because the words are saying something, but it sneaks in on you. What does the music itself say? You know, bum, 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 or la, 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 or whatever in between. Uh, what does the music itself say? How does it affect me? Does it make me angry? Does it make me spiritual? Does it make me joyful? Does it make me sinful, sin sensual? What is it that it's doing to me? Does it draw me closer to God in His service? Very important. Does it make me want to serve Him? 
or does it lure me into carelessness or rebellion against God? Carelessness. We say, well, I'm just, I'm just listening to the music because it amuses me. We talked about that. Amuse. The word, very word, ah, without, muse, thinking. Empty your mind. I guarantee you, you empty your mind and, the Lord, and Satan will fill it with something else. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay? That's the idea here. That's the idea here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Be careful. You th- oh, I got this. It's not going to get me. That's what I said. It got me. And it's very important that we learn. And then we need to also, I think, I want to talk especially to parents for just a minute. Parents, and if you're somebody who's mentoring someone else, someone's following you, listening to you as their spiritual guide. Uh, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. You might be able to listen to something and shut it off. But if you listen to it in the presence of someone else who's following you, or if you're allowing your children to listen to music that you know is against God and His Word, you need to be careful because you're putting a stumbling block in front of them, something that can cause them to fall into sin. So it's important that we care, care about these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We are to cast down imaginations and every high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So be careful about this matter of music. And if you're into something that's bad, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just saying, think, pay attention. What is important to you? If your music is more important to you than your God is, what is your music? It's an idol. And that is one of the first breaking, that breaks one of the first commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. And music can be an idol. It really can. And so if you feel the hair on the back of your neck standing up while I'm talking about this, it might be applying to you. And I'm telling you that in Christian love. Don't let anything get between you and your God. I didn't like hearing this when I was in it either. But I'm glad somebody told me. Because it does help. So let's go from the source of our music to the substance of our music. And I've got to find my outline so that I can stay on track here. It's in here someplace. I'll find it. The substance of our songs. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, the theme verse that we're looking at. And Ephesians 5, 18. There's three kinds of songs that, that we find in the Scripture. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I was reading, I've read a lot this week about this. My eyes bugging out of my head reading all the stuff I'm reading. And uh, one of the things I read was by my old voice teacher, Dr. Tim Fisher. He, he was here a few years ago for our music conference that we have. And he wrote a book. And in that book he said, I've never heard two theologians agree on the same definitions to these three categories, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But I'm sure of one thing. Whatever else they may refer to, they all point to a close reliance on the language of Scripture. So when you pick songs, pick songs that are going to help you to understand your Bible better. 
and what it has to say, doctrinal truth, words of, the actual words of Scripture are great to sing. And usually that's what we do when we sing the Psalms. Psalms, hmm, songs of praise, testimony and instruction from the book of Psalms, the biggest book in the Bible. Inspired by God, written by David and Solomon and those uh, Levites who were set aside for, as temple musicians. So all of this is very, very vital. It's the Word of God. It's, it's what God wants us to know. It's why He gave us this huge book, the book of Psalms. So we're talking about Psalms. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, If any, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Another translation says those are sing praises, is what we're talking about. Psalms were sung by Israel in the Old Testament. Psalms were sung by the Lord Jesus on the mount when he had the, had the uh, before he went to the cross. The disciples sang and then they went to the Mount of Olives. They sang the Psalms. The Psalms were sung by the early church. Psalms have been sung by the church for almost 2,000 years until recent days. The Psalter is the book, hymn book for all times. And uh, the Psalms have been precious to God's people even before the church had it because Israel sang the Psalms. So this book of Psalms is a songbook that's 3,500 years old. And it has stood the test of time. And it keeps pointing us back to our God. So why don't independent Baptist churches like ours sing Psalms? We don't. I, I've been in, in the ministry for 40 years. I've been in churches from the East Coast to the West Coast, to the North, to the South, to, the, to, to Asia. And I don't think I've ever been in an independent fundamental Baptist church that sings psalms. But what does Colossians 3 say? It's teaching and admonishing one another in psalms. So we do that. We do, we do it, don't do it musically as the old church, the church has done in the past. We, we read the Psalms a lot. We go to the Psalms when we're in trouble and we read it. And it's important that we do. But why don't we sing it? I think a lot of times, here's, here's what uh, uh, Chris Anderson, who wrote a, a recent book about uh, theology that sticks. He said this, many metrical psalms have been awkward of construction and unclear in meaning. One author joked that the standard English psalters of ages past sound as though they were written by Yoda in Star Wars. Awkward they are, inverted in ways most unnatural are their words. And uh, you can almost hear Yoda saying that. And it, it is difficult at times to sing the psalms. I got on last night to iTunes and looked up psalms to see if I could find anybody who was singing psalms. Unfortunately, most of the what you're going to find on iTunes are people who are singing psalms to bad music, <laughs> really bad music. And, uh, and it, it, it's, it's, it's all about the sound effects. It's not about the scripture. So it's important that we figure out a way to do this. I don't know how to do this. Let me tell you this. There's one psalm that you might have sung and you didn't know it. Look in your Bibles to Psalm 48. Psalm 48. Use the King James if you can. If you don't have it, there's a pew Bible there. You can turn to page 856. Psalm 48. I've sung this and I didn't know I was singing the Psalms. 
Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And there are others. Every once in a while, Pastor Kelly will pull a choir number out. Like I think two or three weeks ago, we sang Psalm 23. Yeah, we do that. And so I think it's important that we do this. I think it's important that we try to figure out how to do this. Uh, we don't have a lot of the Psalms written in our hymn book. I don't know how to do it. I really don't. You know, up until 1500s, we didn't even have hymn books. We didn't. Up until the 1500s, everybody sang out of their Bible. They just went to Psalms. Or they had it memorized. And they knew there were several tunes that they would just kind of say, okay, we're going to sing this song to Old 100. And they would sing to that tune. And everybody just went to it because they'd memorized it and they went along with it. And they were singing Scripture. And what happens when you sing Scripture? The Word of God dwells within you richly. And it helps you to know more about your God. So we need to figure that out. Pastor Kelly, I'm just going to tell you, just think about that. See if we can figure out a way to do some psalms sometime. I don't know how to do that. You're, you're the music guy. You figure it out. Uh, he's so smart. He can do it. He can, I know he can do it. We do sing songs that come from the psalms. 172 in your hymn book. 100, and, I, and you don't have to go to all these, but I'm just going to tell you. I looked this up last night while I was doing my studying. Psalm 172. A mighty fortress is our God. Written by Martin Luther. Was, comes from Psalm 46. Hymn number 250, Jesus Shall Reign, was written by Isaac Watts, and that comes from Psalm 72. Uh, number 24 in your hymn book, O God, our help in ages past, our hope in things to come, is also written by Isaac Watts from Psalm 90. Uh, 199, a song that we all sing at Christmas time, Joy to the World, right? That comes from, a, a, uh, from Psalm 98 and was written by Isaac Watts and George Frederick Handel, a classical composer. Uh, number 30, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, was written from Psalm 90. A relatively new song in our hymn book, uh, As the deer panteth for the water, we sing that. Uh, that comes from Psalm 42. And uh, so if we keep searching, we may find out as you go into your hymn book that we're singing songs that are written based on the Psalms, but they're not the Psalms themselves. But we need to develop a way to do that. Um, until the 1900s, or no, the 1800s, until the eight, 1800s, churches did not allow anybody to sing anything that didn't come out of the Psalms. That's, that was a shock to me when I read that. That was a shock to me. The first hymnal, as far as I know, came out in the 1500s. And uh, there was one published in 1564. It's called the Ausbund. It's an Anabaptist hymnal. And you know there are some people that still use it every week. The Amish. They still sing out of the Ausbund. That was published in 1564. So then I said, well, what's in our hymn book? And this is why my eyes have been bugging out of my head. Some of you said, you look, you look funny. And my eyes have been bugging out of my head because I've been studying so much this week. Uh, I went through the hymn book and I looked up every author in our hymn book. 
in the back. It's on, in the back of your hymn book, it's on page 714 to page 719. And I went through each one of them and I color coded them. These are the ones that were born in the 1800s. These are the ones that were born in the 1700s. These are the ones born in the 1600s. And these are the ones born in the 1900s. I found 15 who have been, been born since I was born that wrote songs in our hymn book. So the vast number of the songs in our hymn book were written by people who were born in the 1800s, over 400 of, of those people. Then you get to the 1900s, about 190 of the authors of hymns in our hymn book were, were born in the 1900s. 70 of our hymn writers were born in the 1700s, 15 were born in the 1600s, 10 were born in the 1500s. One of our hymn writers, only one, was alive during the Dark Ages. His name was Martin Luther, and he wrote that one great song about uh, the church's one foundation in the 1400s. Sir Francis of Assisi penned a song that we sing sometimes, All Creatures of Our God and King. You've heard that one? Hmm. He was born in 1182, and he died in 1226 at the age of 61. That's an old song. It was originally written in Latin, and it was translated into English not until the 1800s. There's another song. Theodolphus of Orleans penned the words to, All glory, laud, and honor. You know that song? He was born in 760, 700 years after Jesus died, and died in 821. The oldest song in our hymn book is number 573, 573. It's called Gloria Patri, Glory Be to the Father. And those were originally written in Latin in the, the second century, 100 to 200 years after Jesus died. That's an old song. And it, it uh, was translated, didn't get translated into English until the 1700s or the early 1800s. So what am I saying? The age of the song is not, or the writer of the song is not the matter. So much as the depth of the meaning of the words and their accurate portrayal of Bible truth. That's what matters. If I were to tell you that one of our favorite hymns, we consider it traditional, is really a new song. Did you know that? You ever heard the song, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, right? What's the song? How Great Thou Art. That song was written in 1885, and it didn't even get translated into English until 1953 eight years before I was born. That's a new song. But we call it a traditional hymn. Right? It's because of the thou and thy. It's because of the way the song talks. It's the way that it is so solidly scriptural. So again, it's not this idea of traditional and contemporary doesn't have to do with age. It has to do with style and content and what it's about. It's very important that we understand that. Chronology, dates, history, 
those are not as important as content. And so we've got to make sure that we are on the right page here. The newest songs in our hymn book are pasted in the front and the back cover. Sing the greatness of our God. You know that one. That was the, those are the only two songs that are written in the 21st century. And the back one is, you are always good, you are only good. Now, I would say, if we were to look at the style of the song, and we're gonna, I gotta, I gotta bring this to a close. The, the sing the greatness would be, I would think of that as a hymn, because it, it's just nothing but praise to God. And then there's this other song, you are always good, you are only good. That would be a spiritual song. See the difference? A hymn and a psalm just simply talk about God and how great and mighty and wonderful He is. These spiritual songs talk about testimonials of what God has done in my life. And sometimes they're instructional to us. Like, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, trust and obey for there's no other. That's a spiritual song that teaches us. So we can use all of these different kinds of songs to help us. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The spiritual songs one is the one that is up usually most of the most debate because it is so fluctuating. Whew, let me just hit this very quickly. And maybe I'll come back and we'll hit this again on another Sunday sometime. Let's hit the style of song really quickly. You know I've been on Sunday mornings preaching about proclaiming clarity to popular culture. And a lot of the ideas that I'm getting are from the scriptures, but they're from another book called All God's Children in Blue Suede Shoes. I was in Pastor Ennis' office the other day, and, and he had a book on his, on his, on his, uh, on his uh, desk. It says, Why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns. And I said, well, that's interesting. And so I, I got my own copy, and I started reading it. And I'm reading through why, why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns and find, Johnny, find the author of that book quoting from all, all, all God's children in blue suede shoes. So there's, there's, there's a collaboration, collaboration of ideas here that's coming together. People are beginning to pay attention and say, we need to think about what we're doing. But in this book, All, all God's Children in Blue Suede Shoes, Why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns quotes from this. And he basically breaks down music into three different genres. Or groupings. You have the pop contemporary culture, you have the traditional folk culture, and the high classical culture. Now the pop contemporary culture, let me just read some of the things that it talks about that really quickly. What is pop culture? What is it? What is the popular, popular culture is what we're talking about. This is the stuff that you hear every day in the elevators, and this is the stuff you hear. It permeates our world. It's everywhere. I think it's interesting if you get, to the, you get to the classical music. Somebody over in East Bay got in trouble the other day because they were trying to keep homeless people out of their parking lot. So they were playing classical music really loud and it drove all the, all the homeless people away. They didn't want to be there. <laughs> Not a bad idea. But, but, uh, but the neighbors were complaining because it was driving them nuts. And I'm going, okay, so there's something going on here. This music affects us somehow. Popular culture tends to draw people in. Classical music tends to drive people away. Mm, interesting, interesting. Unless you're Pastor Kelly, he likes classical music. 
Unless you like my wife, she likes classical music. I listen to it. I, I go to the symphony and I fall asleep. I do. It's not, I'm not against it. It just puts me out. Unless it's the Marine Band. I like that. That, way, that keeps me going. Okay. Now, and I go. I go. I'm not against it at all. It's, it's good. It's, 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 it is, it, and it has a place, and I want to get to that. Okay. But pop contemporary culture. It is imminent. That means it is experiential. It is inward. It is me-focused. It is mono-generational. It's all about this generation. What's going on right now? It is banal. It's lazy. It's individualistic. It's all about me. It's, it's accessible. Everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. I was in a church in Southern California one time. And I was in a church that was bigger than this building, bigger than this church, full of more people than are here right now. And six people got up in the front and started singing songs. And, and they put the words up on a screen. And I'm going, okay, what do I do with this? Do I go up, down, stop, hold, what, what, where, what, how, what? It was, it was all over the place. But they were having a great time. These five or six people were having a great time. And I'm looking around at the whole congregation who's trying to sing. And they're all going, I, uh, what? So I went to the pastor afterwards. And I said, what? Where did these songs come from? I've never heard these before. He said, oh, well, Bob wrote that one last week, and Susie wrote that one two weeks ago. And, and, and it's like, well, how are we supposed to sing this stuff? There's no music. There's no notes. There's no way to go up or down or hold or stop. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not judging their motives. Not at all. They weren't going to make any money on that stuff anyway, I can tell you. I think they were doing it for the Lord. But there wasn't enough thought that went into it. And it didn't help congregational singing. And it didn't bring unity to the church. It brought a lot of confusion. So, anyway, pop culture is individualistic rather than communal. Anybody can do it. Pop culture has become so powerful that country music has changed. Did you notice that? Have you noticed that? There was a difference between country music and pop music. And now country music is saying, well, we're not making as much money as pop music, so we've got to sound like pop music. You see what's happening? So that's a little bit about what I learned. The newest, latest, and greatest. It's more market-driven than the other two styles. Because it's all about, right now, I saw on the news last, this, this morning on the news, before church, I saw on the news, there's somebody down in, not too long, Taylor Swift was here. It was in South Bay. Some of you know that. I know, that, I know you know that. And she was down here, and she had this huge concert and made a gazillion dollars. Right? There's a guy down there now, I don't, I, some British dude, and he's singing, and he's making Taylor Swift look like a pauper. Drawing in the crowds, drawing in the crowds. Well, we won't remember that guy five years from now, I'll guarantee it. Anyway, pop culture. The traditional folk culture is the other kind. It's more multi-generational. It is transcendent. It's thinking about higher things, not just what makes me feel good right now. 
It's generational. It's trying to pass it on to somebody else. It's communicable. It's more accessible than classical, but it is somewhere between pop and high-class culture. When you think of traditional folk culture, there's a hymn in our hymn book called Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My... That's a, that would be a kind of a folk song. And it's easy to pick on. Uh, it's all, all easy to pass on. It's very suitable for Christian hymnody, and we recognize their presence in those kind of hymns. Christian hymnody, historically considered, is a folk idiom. It is subculture's way of transmitting its heritage and its tradition from one generation to another generation. You can pass it on. It's not just only understood about this generation. Have you ever seen this, that, this argument between kids and their parents? Dad, you don't understand my music. And, and the dad says, no, you don't understand my music. Why? Because it's all one generational thing. We're trying to do songs that we can pass on to our children. And not just the songs and not just the music, but the truths that go with it. That's what we're trying to do. It's not about entertainment. It's about passing and teaching. High classical culture. And we really need to do as much as we can with this. It really can. We should. High classical culture is, in, is self-consciously multi-generational. The guys who write classical music write with the mindset of saying, I want people 400 years from now to be singing this song or playing this music. Wow, what a way to pass on doctrinal truth. So we need to be as a church, and I'm just going to quickly here, I'm just going to hit this and just say it. We as a church need to be somewhere between that folk culture and that high classical culture with a leaning more towards the high classical than just the folk culture. Because we as a church have a desire to pass this on to our children. And music is a tremendous tool to do that. Okay? You want the last point so you can go home? No? You're okay? We can keep going? Last point. Let's go there. The spirit of our song, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Listen, you're going to come to church here. And you're not going to like some of the songs. I go to choir practice with Pastor Kelly. And sometimes I don't like those songs. Sometimes I pick songs he doesn't like them. Would you agree? <laughs> he said a big amen. I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that. But are we here to please me or you or him? Right? So when we can find common ground on music that is built around this, let's jump in with both feet. Right? Whatsoever you do. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Not unto men. You're not singing this for Pastor Kelly or Pastor Dan or you. We're singing this for him. So let's get involved and do the best we can. And make that joyful noise. Even if your voice sounds like a chainsaw. Let her rip and sing to the Lord. Okay? Does your heart sing? As we sing, we should do so with a heart and mind engaged in seeking truth, beauty, excellent, honest worship, a heart of obedience, and God's glory rather than our own. Not for our satisfaction or to show off our talents, but to glorify Him. 
Father, thank you for the opportunity to discuss this matter. I pray that at least it will cause people to think and consider your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.